0: Goodies,
1: goody, goody, yum, yum.
2: Welcome to the goodies pirate podcast i'm dave i'm richard i'm rob and this is episode 32 a special episode looking at a special episode the goodies and the beanstalk now this is very clearly called this because it's actually in the opening titles <laughs> so there's no argument about this whatsoever it was first broadcast on the 24th of december 1973 a monday at 5:15 p.m and it goes for about 45 minutes Richard, why the odd broadcast time and why the odd length? The broadcast time,
1: I'm not sure. The broadcast length, this was commissioned as a 45-minute special.
2: Well, I assume the time was to make it special.
1: Yes, I think so. Woody's themselves, I think, were hoping for a time slot probably a bit later in the evening.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They they didn't get that.
1: No, I think they were a bit unhappy with the, the 5.15 time slot although they did realise that uh, because it came during a period where Britain was experiencing power cuts, there wouldn't have been people hanging around at work anyway, so they probably were actually home to watch it. Especially on Christmas Eve. Yes. Anyway, yes, this was commissioned at the outset to be a 45-minute special made entirely on film, so quite expensive, and the BBC did actually throw a fairly decent budget behind it.
2: Yeah, look, you can certainly see the budget. While you're talking, what were your thoughts about it?
1: I enjoyed it. It's a fun episode to watch. In some ways, it, it's really just one of their extended film sequences. There's not an awful lot of dialogue in it, but uh, no, look, it was fun to watch. It's maybe not long enough to
2: fill its length. Fair enough, Rob.
0: I was a bit disappointed with it, to be honest. I thought it is too long. I thought it was too different to what I was used to in terms of the goodies. The three fellas played seem to play different characters to what I was I was used to in a sense. I mean, they're, they're basically tramps. They're homeless. Mm-hmm. They're, They're not getting up to the usual shenanigans that I've become used to. Being sort of one extended insert threw me off. The whole the sort of the look of it on film is different to what I'm used to. Some of the gags do land and some of it is fun. But uh, overall, uh, one of the lesser episodes from this run for me.
1: I suppose with the thing being poor, though, given it's a send-up of Jack and the Beanstalk...
0: Oh, no, I understand that, yeah. But it just doesn't doesn't doesn't, doesn't really fit me. with the goodies look, as
1: we know them at this point point.
0: and look it is it, it is, they're right in the middle of panto season aren't they so yes. it is effectively a pantomime i mean i, I believe that they've done pantomimes of jack and the beanstalk so oh like, absolutely oh, i think it comes, was a staple. So it's a staple yeah so for, look i can understand that but it it's not my goodies in, in a sense
2: I, I can relate to that one thing that really struck me about this episode is being a special this was actually one that was released on vhs and there was a copy at the local video library when I was growing up, which somehow managed to become a dubbed copy in our personal collection. I don't know how.
1: Well, that's the thing, because given it was was 45 minutes, because this this, and and the goodies were okay, interestingly enough, were ones the ABC didn't have on high rotation because they didn't fit into that half-hour slot. No. They needed to pair it with Doctor Who.
0: Well, I was going to say, my only recollection of watching this must have been in the 80s. Because I have no recollection.
1: Yeah, I, I was. Look, the ABC certainly screened it. It was either when they were screening the goodies by themselves or they'd do it right at the end of the run when they were they could drop Doctor Who or, or The Ghost of Mrs Muir or something for an evening and, uh, and get run an extended goodies episode.
2: Yeah, but I, I saw it regularly because it was one we had on video from a very early yeah. time. And so it was very familiar to me. But you're right, watching it in the context of the run as we're doing now, Rob, It does feel very odd. It looks funny because of the film. It doesn't have the familiar surroundings. The characters are slightly off. And I have to agree with what you guys said as well. As a half an hour episode, I think this would have been really, really tight. And we'll talk a bit about, I think, where where it is padded. At 45, it is a little bit soft and mushy. Mm. But there's still a lot of good stuff in it. So we should throw ourselves into it. Now, there are a special set of opening credits there, which include the credit that it was... Written by Graham Gardner and Bill Oddie with Tim Brook Taylor's Byron.
0: <laughs> that that was funny, that, that's the sort of a meta reference to who's actually writing the scripts. Well and it was sort of credit.
1: Yeah, it, it was. They um, the way they used to do it I, I think at this point was they would all sit down and do the, the sort of the planning meeting about what they wanted to do. And then Tim would go off and Graham and Bill would write the thing, and then Tim would come back and, and make suggestions and edit it. To a point and add some additional material.
2: It opens with a narration which goes in a completely different direction to what you expect when you first see the, well, does, the ancient map. Well, it
1: does. Well, you yeah. have that, that's a take off for of the opening of Bonanza. Bonanza yes. Yeah, where yeah. they do the burning map.
2: Yeah, and you expect it's going to be a western or something and suddenly know that it's the goodies impoverished in Cricklewood.
1: Yeah, we have the burning map and then you go to a copy of the local street directory. <laughs> Here they are in suburban. And this this episode actually is the first one that really cements them as this is where they live. Yeah. Cricklewood is their home. It's where Tim and Graham lived and Bill, I think at the time, lived next suburb across.
0: Okay. I, I
2: think. think it is a
0: London suburb. Yes. Right?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it is actually a real place. Is it a?
0: genteel suburb do we know is it a working class suburb no i think it, i think it's a reasonably affluent suburb
2: i think uh, it, it's not upper class in the you know inner london suburbs but it would be nice suburbia yeah okay. that said the goodies have fallen on hard times they're very hard times <laughs> well given how much money they throw away in other episodes <laughs> yeah it's not full a of, shock not,
1: given the fact they've been chucked out of a doss house <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you do get them you know poor and you see the reflex of that except on graham who of course his inventiveness and adaptiveness <laughs> once once more comes through yeah. and there's that very funny sequence where you know the park bench folds out into a bed with a mattress yes. the paper that he has to cover himself actually folds out into a sheet mm. he blows up the paper bag to be a pillow
1: well it even goes to the point where he's got a bottle of champagne and a glass in the bin
0: yeah.
1: Well <laughs> ice right. in the bin
0: who says we fall on hard times as he's popping a a bottle of a Bollinger or something.
1: Plus his dirty old fragrance coat turns inside out to quite a nice robe
0: so he can sit there. That sequence and the bit where they're panhandling or uh, I enjoyed those sequences because they felt much more like traditional, like the traditional inserts it's just the stuff around it all
1: afterwards I, I did actually enjoy the bits where they were panhandling as well which which we kind of skipped the bit where they go out and then they do the dance and then the copper comes along moves him uh, on yes. and yes. then and then does a better dance that was very funny the, the yes. one that stood out for me is the bit where Graham has the sign saying I've only got one leg <laughs> then the woman <warden laughs> gives him one out of her bag yes. and when she works out he's faking he pulls out the hand and then punches him with it <laughs>
2: Uh, I guess the whole point of these sequences is it leads to the point where they force Bill to go to market to sell the trandom. Buttercup. Buttercup. <laughs> Buttercup. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and look, obviously, they're doing Jack and the Beanstalk. Yeah. And so you know, Bill is filling that Jack role and he's one, misses the trandom. And one,
1: one note I did there, that is quite an adept piece of writing where he's sitting on the
2: back with the ropes at the top yes. of the handlebars. That is really
0: cool. Whether they managed to salvage a, a, you know, three seconds of footage and, <laughs> and afterwards he's just full of uh,
2: I, I must admit I wondered if it had been faked. Well, Why, I did wonder it, whether
1: there's a training wheel or something out on the other side. Yeah, or, or something. something's dragging along
2: or something. Maybe, yeah.
1: but I must admit it, it, it does look quite well done.
2: It does. They get to market. Billy's abused by, the, by yes. the farmers.
1: <laughs> and gets hit in the head with a can of baked
2: beans. Yes, for which you know, they give up their beloved trandom. Graham very knowingly works out that they're in a fairy tale. And therefore, that the bean might be important.
1: Uh, after they've poured it over Bill's head. Oh, yeah. So, I, I guess the payback that. for the beans means teens yes.
0: eggs. Yes. Well, it's yes. more apt if it's actually been poured on grains, right. but uh, And the audience understands that as well. Yeah. Well,
2: because well, Tim even has the line I've always wanted to do this. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that was very good. Uh, then the Ben Stork grows. And we get into what is a proper in- film and insert sequence. Mm. It attacks the girl guide's mistress, it then gets the guys in the bathtub. It gets the newsreader.
1: Well, I was going to say, and this is Corbett Woodall again, there is an anecdote with that, the bit where it pushes him out into the street and, of course, he and the news desk takes off. Yes. Um, They actually had no control over where that was going because he rolled out the street and suddenly realised he was headed down a (laughs) slope. And that look of terror he gives is actually quite real as he goes sliding down the street. And he wound up, Going into a wall, I think at some reasonable amount of speed, he he was unharmed. But, I, I guess you know,
2: that's why it looks so genuine and is so funny. Yeah, yeah it, it is because he's so actually, real. Yeah,
1: he's actually
0: crapping. No, woodles were damaged or hurt, making a <laughs>
2: And of course, the the gag itself is that he then goes into the television that isn't working and just replaces it in the yeah. lounge room, and the couple goes on watching oblivious. The beanstalk keeps going; it takes them into France. It takes them into Nepal.
1: Well, I was going to say, it takes them into France, where they say goodbye to the lady in the bathtub. Oh, yes. So sad, actually, doesn't she? Yeah, <laughs> she does look a bit sad. So, <laughs> and, and, of course, Tim gets a glimpse inside the nudist colony. Yes. yes.
0: <laughs> Did that survive the census, uh, scissors here in Australia, do you know? I have it here as being uncut,
1: so... Really? Yeah. Okay. But look at that, I think it may have done. Well, I suppose you don't really see anything. I mean, you only see them from the back, I suppose.
2: A couple of years earlier, this probably would have been, though. Yeah, potentially. That
0: shot leaves very little to the imagination.
1: Oh, they're they're obviously not. Oh, of course. (laughs) Yes.
2: They get to Nepal, which is represented by a chalk quarry somewhere in (laughs) England, (laughs) and get the beanstalk to go upwards. Now, really strange bit here, despite them being in abject poverty, they clearly go back to Britain, find out about the competition, and then go back to Nepal. Yes, I
1: had a note about that, too. The story takes them from Nepal back to... Britain and then back to the Himalayas again. What can one say? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Whatever suits the narrative, it gets done.
1: Where where they've not only gone back to Nepal, they're actually Britain's representatives. (laughs) It's a knockout. There is the bit there where they're going to give away 5,000 puppies.
2: Yes, I was saving that for later in the episode. Yes, well, that, we that is
1: a, the next bit is of what you couldn't get away with. But I, I suppose it does satirise that, that sort of competition that you know gives away totally irresponsible things. Well, the joke is, of course, they say they're going to sell them to the Indian restaurants, and then, of course, there's an expose on the next page with what goes into the food at Indian restaurants. So,
2: <laughs> Yes, I think we'll be addressing that again later in the episode. Yes. Uh, but they do get to the uh, It's a Knockout, complete with Eddie Waring and Stuart Hall. The real Eddie Waring. The real Eddie Waring. I, uh,
0: I prefer Graham's Eddie Waring voice to Eddie Waring.
2: <laughs> so we probably should touch on Eddie Waring because he is a trope and he actually appears here himself, so he's clearly a good sport. Yes. Pardon the pun. Mm. But he was a staple of British rugby coverage for a very long time and, and quite divisive in that he obviously spoke with spoke with a very heavy Yorkshire accent. And the establishment, who were very big on rugby, did not approve of that. But a lot of the people who were watching him on television did like his laconic style. And there was quite a bit of tension about that, particularly as the game became more professional as we went into the 80s. He wasn't actually sacked at the end of his career, but I believe there was very much a mutual understanding between him and the BBC that it was time for him to move on.
0: Right.
2: So unlike cricket commentators in All Nations which basically only leave in a box. <laughs> uh, but no, Eddie Waring is here and it's funny to actually hear him speaking himself because Graham's impression is really spot on. Mm, mm, very <laughs> much so. And they do the whole It's a Knockout segment. That that's quite funny and you know, quite bizarre. It's got some good jokes and you know it's got the oh glare Blitz's playing the Joker which is the, <laughs> the card of Ted Heath. <laughs> And it's also got a line that I think it will be addressing again, like, he's a coloured lad. Yes.
1: <laughs> and, and he has a bone through his nose. <laughs> oh. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and a lot of the stuff about the other nation's teams is, look...
0: It's it, very
1: stereotypical
0: humour. It,
2: it, it is. Whether you, you would say it crosses a line, I don't know. I mean... It certainly
0: runs up towards the line. It, it? it does. On top of
1: Pro- line. Probably with the Italians. Yeah, players, they're all good friends and they're shooting each other.
2: <laughs> But the goodies do quite well at the uh, Guerre Sans Frontières competition. It's a knockout.
1: There's some nice little visual gags in there. They do the bit with the magic wallpaper when yes, they have to put yes. their wall up. Yeah, you notice the Germans actually don't finish their wall. They just sort of push it over <laughs> and then just run to the damsel into
0: stress. Yeah, I, I actually like this sequence, especially the bit where they're sort of leaping over the, um, swinging over the piranha pool. That
2: was, I like that. that was quite cool. Yeah, or the bit where the, I think, is it the Italian that comes out with the two skeletons the behind? German him? Or the German guy. Is the
1: German guy. And then gets knocked out by coconut. <laughs>
2: yeah there's some there's some good stuff in there and some dodgy stuff in there Mm. the goodies of course do well they magically get up the first 200 meters of the beast yes they
1: just do the great with one bound they were free
2: yes and then they they climb up to the stirring strains of climb every mountain (laughs) and find another quarry
1: yes now where they're doing a bit with the echoes that looks suspiciously like where they filmed the part of the five doctors
2: it does, doesn't it?
1: I don't. I don't actually oh, know where it yes. was, yes, it, where the that, cave that, where that, they gosh. meet the the Rastin Warrior robot.
2: It does look very similar. Could be any number of quarries from Doctor Well, it, really. it could be, but yes. <laughs> but that, that's a quite a funny sequence there with the echoes. I remember enjoying that quite a lot as a kid. I <laughs> just can't turn, them, turn them off. Turn them off. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess we then start to get more into the the real meat rather than veg of the episode. Well,
1: well the thing mm. is, Bill sort of hears the siren call, so we don't actually get into the Giant's Castle until just over the halfway mark. That's right. Now, of course, they then see the golden eggs and, of course, just immediately think all their dreams have come true. That's um,
2: right, but th- this is this is a good example, I thought, of where it's it's padded in a way that it didn't need to be. There's really no reason why the three of them couldn't have all arrived in the castle at one time and all found the eggs together and gone on from there. Whereas what we actually get is Bill dragging them towards the castle, then the rope gets cut, Bill goes in, and then we have another couple of minutes of him just looking around, them trying to get into the castle, they sort of jump up and get in there. That That all is just... Bump that didn't need to be there. Mm. And if you're making a half hour edit, that could all go mm. and it would be a much tighter episode.
1: I suppose, I mean, look, I suppose it allows you to do that, that sort of roadrunner catapult joke a bit, but you're right, it's unnecessary.
2: So they explore the castle, as you said, they find the chickens laying the golden eggs, complete with 24 karat gold stamped on them yes, and that's right. all that sort of thing, and they then encounter the giant.
1: Yes which is Alfie Bass yet again. Now, apparently, it was very much a case they had such a great time making Camelot with him that they asked him back for this one.
2: Uh, yeah, so if you haven't heard our talk about Alfie Bass, do go back a couple of weeks to our Camelot episode. We will address him in a lot more detail there. Someone who'd been around a lot of British television and the goodies were very keen to work with. What did you all make of this whole segment with Alfie Bass as the, in inverted commas, giant?
0: Uh... It's a neat inversion on the idea of there being a giant. He's quite small. He's shorter than the rest of them, I think. Yes, he is. Uh, look, this is where this episode, I get lost. It loses me. Yeah. The giant props, you know, the large book and all that sort of thing, that's quite well done. That's 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 well done. But the rest of it is a lot of running around. It's a lot of unconnected gags. It's a homage to the Marx Brothers for some reason for, you know, 30 seconds, i we are used to writing 30-minute scripts and now we've got to pad it out to 45. That's where they they, they lose their grasp on the story.
2: Yeah, I found it all very odd. I I don't think it quite landed this idea that um, Alfie Bass's character is trying to scare people away by pretending to be a giant. It it just doesn't quite work.
1: No, they do get a couple of good jokes in there, the bit where he said he was a zookeeper at the Snowed Naver, and they sort of do the, there (laughs) there. Which I guess is also a hark back to the Loch Ness Monster. It is, yes,
2: yes. But I I must admit, I I did really enjoy the the musical number in there. I thought the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire reference to the Marx Brothers was really good. And, And the bit particularly where... Graham puts on the moustache, the hat, and suddenly does the Groucho marks. That's I thought that was really funny because he's uh, very good at it.
1: And it is, and of course you also have the singing animals.
2: Yes, which they've done before.
1: They well, have, and, but, and probably better than they do it here because they're only very short grabs. But
2: oh, I actually thought it was quite good here, quite clever. So I really enjoyed the whole okay. sequence. Anyway, they decide that it's time to escape. The giant's asleep, so it's yes. time, to, time to do a runner. It's very obvious where they first
1: do the bit and the geese all land. It's very obvious that some of the ones at the back of cardboard. But, <laughs> but he did get that great sequence of Alfred Hitchcock yes. releasing the goose.
2: Uh, you also get the geese goose stepping.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: <laughs> and a whole sequence there. The giant coming along in a floating shoe for me really didn't land at all. No,
1: that felt a bit rushed I thought there were some very good sequels in there I must admit the audience goes nuts when they do the damn Busters reference with yes. the bouncing bomb yes there is a story apparently Bori where they filmed the Himalayas it was apparently quite close to a bird observatory Bill had been trying to go down there for a couple of days, I believe, to, to get some time off to go down and, and see if he could spot the Alpine swift, which was quite a rare bird. Well, apparently while they were filming one of the sequences with the bomb, he happened to look up, there was one flying overhead, and he's gone, Jesus Christ, it's an Alpine swift. <laughs> just as the fake egg landed on him. So. <laughs> apparently he, he does make the anecdote that if you can lip-read it, you can see it in the finished program, but I must admit I couldn't see it, so it may have been cut.
2: They go down the beanstalk, the giant follows them, they use the weed killer to get rid of the beanstalk. <laughs> um, the giant pops all the balloons, so wins it's a knockout, and the 500 puppies or whatever it was. But, of course, before we have that,
1: we have Eddie wearing. Grabbing oh, the golden right. egg and taking off yes. to
2: score a try. <laughs> that's right, yeah. That was quite a good moment. Of course, this leaves them back where they started, back yeah, in yes. poverty they're in Britain. Bike. But they've got an empty bean tin. And the giant
1: has 5,000 <laughs> puppies he's trying to get rid of. They're going cheap. Actually, they're going woof.
2: Yeah, you sort of wonder why he didn't just go back to his castle. And then, because it's Christmas time and special things happen at Christmas, John Cleese turns up.
0: He does. And I find it really interesting that the audience laughter seems to mask a lot of what's said in that very short sequence.
2: It, it is, because he actually comes in and does that now for something completely different. Yes. But you can't hear it very well because the audience is screaming. Yeah. You know, Beatlemania type stuff.
0: Mm, it's very interesting.
2: But and the, of
1: course he does the kids' television <laughs>
2: But look, I guess if you're a fan of the goodies, you're probably also a fan of Python, and having Cleese rock up would have been...
1: Would have been a big deal. It would have
2: been a big deal. What do we think after all that?
1: As I said at the start, I look, I enjoyed it. It is a little padded, and I, I don't think it perhaps quite fills it its 40-odd minute length. But uh, look, it was quite a fun episode to watch. I did watch it with my son. Look, he got quite a bit out of it. So clearly with the sort of 10-year-old demographic, it, it was a hit.
0: Look, it it's fast-paced and it's quite colourful and it's full of events and, and and action. So I can understand how you know a child would, would be captured by
1: it. I mean, look, he probably didn't get all the references. I mean, look, he had no idea who the Marx Brothers were. But
2: yeah, I I did enjoy it. There are some good sequences. There are some dull sequences as well. I think it's an up and down episode, but it's not bad. It's not bad. Could have been better. Not bad.
1: No, I, I did have some other notes here about it. Um, one one thing with this is. Andrew Pixley's book makes the note that this cost around £100,000 to make. £100,000? £100,000, £100, this cost. They had five or six weeks to film it.
0: I'm stunned. Yeah. Really? They'll get,
1: yes, they'll give an extended period, an estimated cost. He makes the cost around £100,000, which was would have been a lot of money in 1974.
2: And I guess that's why they've gone very heavy on the location, on the visual stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about it, I guess, a lot of those beanstalk sequences must have been quite significant to set up. Oh, I think so.
1: Well they had an extended period to do it. there, there is actually some notes here. This this also and probably leading back to the early thing about how popular the goodies are becoming. this, this is actually where they a point where they really started having problems with crowds turning out to watch them film. And when they went to one of the when they were doing some of the stuff with the beanstalk here they actually found that the kids had been given a day off school and given a questionnaire actually to see if you can get an interview of the goodies and tick off these things on a questionnaire and there were two rows of like temporary stadium seating set up to come <laughs> and watch, them, watch them film which they started to find a real problem because they'd have people talking during takes or they'd run through the set. They also had problems with stuff being nicked. Apparently they obviously didn't finish the beanstalk shot that night. And left it there, came back the next morning, and huge pieces had been
2: cut off it by, by souvenir hunters. Denuded. <laughs> yeah. So, somewhere somebody's just got a, a piece of rubber. There the, the was once a piece of beanstalk. Yeah. It's <laughs> latex.
1: Yeah, and, and the thing is, that they built this cardboard castle for for the establishing shop where they look up and see the giant's castle. That got nicked as well, I think <laughs> so. Jesus. Okay. So, yeah, that was starting to become a real problem, and apparently it's something that dogged them through the rest of the series.
2: Okay. Okay, then we'll move on to our regular segments. Obviously, being a special, there were no ads on this this occasion.
1: Unless you you count the stuff about the news of the sun.
2: Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) So we move on to our tropes. Now, I've got a long list here. So maybe I'll I'll work through this and see if you've got them and what else you can add. Uh, We get hearts and flowers played on the violin. Yes. We have Corbett Woodall. And, and, And on the clarinet. Oh, that's right, and on the clarinet. Corbett Woodall turns up as the newsreader. Eddie Waring is not just mentioned, he is present. Actually there. Uh Crickle Wood gets a mention. Yep. And we have the Zookeeper mention and the Stone Avery mention. Yes. Any others? Uh,
0: well, there's a frequent mention of the word loony, which I think has become this sort of yes. word du jour. Word. Yeah. Yep. And also there's an appearance of a panto horse, which we've seen in uh, yes, Hunting Pink.
1: That, that's right. And, and indeed the panto dragon in, yes. in Camelot.
2: Camelot. No, that is true. Good pick up. What couldn't they get away with today? Oh,
1: I think they
0: passed pass Master
2: with most
1: of it, the- no. <laughs> well, I will make the point again, it, it apparently wasn't cut here, so when, when it was screened here, they were perfectly okay with it, so...
2: Well, look, let's, let's just say up front... In, in these more enlightened times... Yes, the joke about puppies going to Indian restaurants would not be done. And, of course, you wouldn't have the line, he's a coloured lad, and nor would you have somebody there with a afro wig and a bone through his nose throwing coconuts.
1: No, Not a grass skirt, no. 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 It's a bit. Uh, uh, even if he is meant to be man Friday but uh, yeah, I don't think so. You
0: touched on it earlier Richard. You, the Italians feuding and then shooting each other some people might find offence but I'm, yeah, you wouldn't probably do it today.
2: Some shows would do it I think. Okay. I don't think you do it in a family entertainment but that that stereotyping of Europeans you know, the Germans are angry, the Italians are ill-disciplined you know whatever the french are lazy yeah you know that sort of thing that's that's just comedy isn't it yeah we can go with that yeah. okay all right so we get to our favorite gags now uh, richard i think it's your turn to go first
1: the one i picked out was the one i mentioned earlier where grinds pretending he's only got one leg <laughs> <laughs> so the woman just happens to have a spare leg in her shopping bag But she not only has that, she has a spare arm to which she can punch him.
2: Yep.
0: (laughs) I must have been awful. That was really funny. I didn't have a favourite line, but I I had two favourite sight gags. Bill riding the bike by himself is quite clever. That's
1: really well well done.
0: And I was sitting there watching and I was thinking, there are an awful lot of birds chasing the the goodies. Uh, This seems a lot like the birds and then a moment later there's the silhouette, the classic silhouette of Hitchcock thrusting a bird towards her in the (laughs) general direction. So, yeah, I found
1: it amusing. No, there probably aren't a lot of actual verbal jokes in this because there's not... Well, I think you're five minutes in before you get even a single line of dialogue.
2: No, there's not not a lot of dialogue.
1: And and then there's a whole break. I think the only really wordy section is the bit where they're in the castle with with Alfie Bass, I think.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, Look, I... Almost went for the Millionaire song, but in the end, I actually went for the Dan Busters gag, <laughs> because it, it kind of comes out of nowhere. And it's just very well timed, and yeah. the music swells up. You see the bouncing egg, it explodes, and, and, and the audience reaction as well makes it really good. So I went for that. But yeah, it's all very um visual and very sight based. This one, so a special episode that was okay. Yeah, I look, I I certainly enjoyed
0: it. You can imagine the audience at Christmas time back in 1973 really sort of enjoying this. It just suits the season, I think, more than anything else. But sort of seeing out of time, for me, it didn't quite work.
2: No, that's fair. Well, next week we'll be back with the Stone Age. But while you're doing that, maybe fill your time by taking a walk in the Black Forest. Who wants to be a millionaire? I do. Don't. Have flashy flunkies everywhere? I do. Don't. Who wants the bother of a country estate? A country estate. There's something I'd hate.
0: Who wants to wallow in champagne? I do.
2: Who wants a supersonic plane? I do Who wants a private landing field too? I don't, and I don't, cause all I want is you.